listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We're turning once more to the book of Revelation and the second chapter, coming to the fourth of these letters, the seven churches, reading therefore from the verse number 18. Uh, this is the longest of the letters. It is to the church uh, via the angel of the church in Thyatira. So let's hear the word of God, Revelation chapter 2 and the verse number 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, he hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds." And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depth of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come." And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. When we open this letter and read this letter to this church, we find ourselves confronted with a somewhat similar story now. We see the address coming from Christ, his description in verse number 18. And then we see a recognition of those things that are commendable in the life of the church. It's a good church in many ways. Verse number 19, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience. Some of these terms are terms we've already noticed in our studies of these, uh, these chapters and these churches. And this is a church that is vibrant and active, working good works, works of love. The word charity is used there, serving the brethren. And these are people that are not self-centered. They have a, a burden for the well-being of the people of God in a broad sense. They are those who have not succumbed to the temptation to forsake Christ. The Lord sees their patience. Though there's a climate of persecution in Asia at the time, they are those who are enduring to the end. The Lord knows their patience. 
There's another reference to their works in verse number 19. Uh, and in some way, the punctuation here is, is not the most helpful. Uh, the second reference to the works, it connects to the last phrase of the, of the chapter, the last to be more than the first. And the sense here is, this is a church that is progressing and developing. Their works are increasing. If you like what the Lord said to the church in, in Thessalonica, abound more and more, and they're abounding. This the church is going forward. If you look at one year, they do, they do so much. The next year, they're doing more. The next year, they're doing more and more. They're abounding in their works of love and service for the people of God. And yet, yet we have this significant word in verse number 20. Notwithstanding. Notwithstanding. Thyatira is mentioned here and in one other place in our scriptures, and that, of course, is in Acts 17 regarding the place where Lydia was from. And that's a bit of a clue as to what happens in Thyatira. It was known as a trading center. It was a thoroughfare, and it was known for its trade. And there were these things uh, that were thought to be some sort of trade guilds. Uh, we might look at them as a, a labor union of some form. Now, that may seem to be a somewhat uh, innocent venture. What harm is there in that? Well, of course, we know there is harm in those things sometimes. Uh, but it may be a, a relatively a neutral situation. But what was the case here was, well, let's say there was a guild for the sellers of purple, like Lydia, or the potters, like I mentioned in verse number 27, the vessels of potter. Well, they had, their, they had their guilds. But there was, in connection with those guilds, pagan feasts. And connected to those pagan feasts, there was pagan worship. And things sacrificed to idols, referred to in verse number 20. And to be a, a fully-fledged, paid-up member of your trade guild, you had to embrace the entirety of the scene, including the pagan rituals. And so the challenge to this vibrant and active church is that they were guilty of suffering Jezebel. The word suffer there, of course, the old English word for allowing, or we might say for tolerating Jezebel. This issue, this church, is a church marked by vitality and activity, but a false concept of tolerance. And so the Lord gives them a burden, a burden, an exhortation, that they are to hold fast, verse number 25. Before we go any further, it's probably helpful to note that you cannot hold fast and tolerate falsehood at the same time. There's this kind of notion, well, so long as I'm faithful, others may not be faithful in my church or in my associations, but so long as I'm faithful, that's all that matters. No, being faithful individually and as a church involves an intolerance of those doctrines that will damn souls. There cannot be tolerance of these things. Holding fast involves an intolerant spirit. Personal faithfulness involves not having a blind eye to the various views of others. And so as we look at this church, what I want to do is I want to, I want to look at these words really in light of how Christ is presented here in his person and in his work at this time in this juncture of history. Because there are some very fascinating 
descriptions and terms regarding Christ and his work. First of all, note the description of Christ that we are given. Verse number 18, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. This is the first time we have a title for Christ given in these, uh, these matters, at least the title of the Son of God. We've known all along, of course, that this mediator, Messiah, is the person of Jesus Christ, who is very God and very man. But what we're seeing here in this letter of Thyatira is Christ reminding the church of his absolute authority. He is co-eternal and quick with the Father, and he comes with the words that are the words of divinity. These are divine words coming from the very mouth of the Son of God's. He who has the authority as creator and judge. He has the right to assess and determine. Because what you're seeing here is you're seeing the judgments of one who has the power of omniscience, who knows and understands the very thoughts and intents of the heart of men. And so his eyes are described, verse number 18 again, his eyes are like unto a flame of fire. A similar term was used in verse 14 of the first chapter, his eyes were as a flame of fire. I think the thought here is of fire, but a fire coming out in a fashion that will penetrate. Fire is used in the Scriptures often uh, with an association of justice. You know, the flaming swords that kept the first parents out of the garden, the idea of justice, the fire that consumes a sacrifice, the justice of God. And here, here Christ's eyes, they, they penetrate with the penetration of divine justice. That's the picture here. And so you see in the verse number 23, it says there, the Lord is the one which searcheth the reins and the hearts. It's a term for the very innards, the very core of man's being, the Lord. And the Lord searches all those things. Nothing can prevent the Lord seeing. He sees the true nature of the individual and of the church. A church may, may look healthy. It may look active. It may look busy. None of those external trappings prevent the Lord from seeing what the reality is inside. That's the sense here. Though you've all of these works going on, you're, you're marked by charity and service. My eyes penetrate through all that, and I see the reality, says the Lord. And so you see the seriousness here of this sin of tolerance. A church marked by good activity doesn't overcome those dangers. There's a reference also to the Lord's feet. His feet are like fine brass. And again, that goes back to a similar phrase in chapter 1, verse 15. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they were burned in a furnace. And the sense, of course, is of the purity of Christ's walk. He walks among the candlesticks as one who walks in absolute sincerity. No hypocrisy. He doesn't bring a charge and someone can say back, but what about you? We can never say, what about you to Christ? When he points out our sin and charges us, his feet are like fine brass. It's not that Christ was purified in a furnace in that sense. It's as if that was the case. It's marked by, by such purity. It's the holy judgment of God. 
There's another reference to this, and some have tied this back to Micah chapter 4, verse 13, where the Lord refers to the daughter of Zion having hoofs covered in brass. It says, I will make thy hoofs brass. And the thought is that it's going back to the time when they were uh, putting brass shoes upon the animals who were threshing the corn. And again, has the idea of the Lord coming here with pure judgment to stir up the people to analyze their conduct and to point out their sin. This may look like an uncomfortable sight for the church. Oh, here's Christ coming. Not as we may think of the, the shepherd guard, but coming with eyes like a fire, his feet like brass, he's coming to judge. But for the true people of God, this is actually very encouraging. Though there were many guilty of tolerance, the text says that there were many who have not this doctrine, verse number 24. And so for the true people of God, it is a comfort to know that Christ comes and deals with the problems in the church. Christ is not a blind eye to the problems that might exist in a church. It's for our goods that Christ would come in this fashion. Now, if we are slow to act, that may not be good. It's not encouraging tolerance here of Jezebel, as we'll see. But it is a reminder that when the, when the church is guilty of sin such as this, Christ doesn't take his hands off. He still will come and minister and do what is necessary for the good of the church. We should never lose the encouragement that Christ walks amongst us. He knows what we need. We've, we've now seen four churches. He knows exactly their needs, their burdens. He understands the situation and he comes in the right form. And to this church he comes with eyes like a flaming fire and feet like brass. That's the description we have of Christ, the Son of God. Secondly, we have Christ's intervention for his church. It flows on from this fact. Christ comes and he comes to intervene. He intervenes in a problem, bringing a word of punishment. The problem comes with a name, Jezebel. Again, all sorts of thoughts and ideas regarding, is this woman actually called Jezebel? I think it is more than likely one woman, a prophetess and a teacher. But I don't believe this is her name, as it were. What you're seeing in these verses, you're seeing many metaphors and pictures that are drawn from the Old Testament character of Jezebel. Back in 1 Kings, Ahab's wife, what does she do? She encourages Baal worship alongside the worship of Jehovah. Compromise. She promotes compromise in Ahab's reign. So the people of God in Ahab's reign, what's true of them? How long will you halt between two opinions? That was Jezebel's impact on the people of God in Ahab's time. And she is now coming as a Jezebel-like figure, promoting compromise and false idolatry alongside the true worship of the church. And so she said to commit fornication. And she said to encourage the eating of things sacrificed to idols. She claims to be a prophetess. And she's teaching. Reminded when you see, because thou sufferest, Remember of Paul's words, I suffer not a woman to teach. 
Here's a foundational problem to begin with. There was a removing of the important, the important prohibition for women teaching in the church. And they've allowed this to take place. And she's suggesting the servants to commit fornication. There's no indication that she's only teaching women here. This church has taken small steps. It began with the decision to allow a woman to exercise a teaching ministry. And then from that initial step, there are further steps that follow. And brethren and sisters, you know, we see it often. Churches that begin to depart from the Word of God will often begin with the ordination of women in the teaching office. So what happens here. It's the process of moving forward. And before long, she's teaching things that are promoting wickedness and sin. There's a reference in verse number 24 to the depths of Satan as they speak. And the idea here is that Jezebel and her children, and I suggest that her children are reference to those who were peddling the same false doctrines, spreading the same ideas under their mother's observation, as it were. Well, what they're doing is they have, they have hidden knowledge, deep things, they have the things that pertain to, well, knowledge that others don't have. It's a mystical religion. Perhaps some form of, of, of an early Gnostic idea, knowledge. Well, what a danger it is. These people who claim such insights, they come and they bring the rebuke of Christ. The scenario seems to be, if you remember these trade guilds, the scenario seems to be that Jezebel was encouraging the people to be involved in these pagan rituals, to be compromised. Remember, this is a church that loves everybody. It's marked by service. And now you're, you're going to tell the believers to keep themselves away from the trade guilds when they could have influence and they could, they could be involved and evangelize and you're saying stay away from that. Jezebel comes, no, no. We're a loving church. We've got to get into the whole society. Be prepared to, to set aside some scruples in order that we can promote the cause of Christ. Perhaps that is the scenario. We're certainly told that she encouraged them to commit fornication. Now, I think the fornication mentioned, verse number 20, is more than likely spiritual fornication. You have there in verse 22, there were those that commit adultery with her. And I think the idea here is not actual fornication, but the spiritual fornication that we have in the Old Testament. When the Old Testament people were guilty of idolatry, they were guilty of spiritual fornication. Oh, there are different paths to idolatry. This one's through the trade unions, the trade guilds. It's a pathway to idolatry. We may not have the same pathway, but any, anything before God is an idol, and we are thereby guilty of spiritual fornication. And such can easily happen, particularly in a materialistic society that we live into, it is easy to bring other gods and pretend that we can worship other gods and worship the true God at the same time. You cannot serve two masters. That's Jezebel teaching. Serve two masters. So long as one's the true God, it doesn't matter what you do. Oh, we live in dif difficult and dangerous days. The teaching of Jezebel is not far removed from the modern evangelical church in North America. This is a church that is warm and friendly and loving and yet is tolerating false worship. 
You know, people often, if they move to a new area, they will look around and they'll think about choosing a church and they'll make an assessment of the church and they'll say to themselves, well, that's a really loving church. And this church is, this is really orthodox and straight up and down and, and really strict with its conduct. And how do I choose between both? I'll tell you, I don't want to choose. I don't want to choose a loving church or a church that's strict on holiness. It's not a choice. It's both. You want a church that loves and a church that's strict on holiness. Here's a church that's marked by profound love. And listen, you don't need to imagine very far to see churches in our area that are popular, that are loving, that are vibrant, that are active. But there's a latent ungodliness that runs through the church. There's a tolerance of all manner of idolatry, a tolerance of all manner of worldly standards. I want to make sure that we have a church that's marked by profound love for the brethren, but also a church that's profoundly holy. You see, the lessons here is that love, love, charity, verse number uh, 19, ought not to lead to license. Where there is a sense, well, if we're a loving church, I can't preach law and duty. No, we've got to preach holiness, but in a spirit of love. The Word of God must test all that is taught. Those things that are looked upon as matters of license, meat sacrifice to idols, a matter of license in the church. We see that in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 10. Well, things that are matters of license can very easily become matters of sin. This is not a sense that they were eating meat that they did not know that was sacrificed. These are people that are engaging in the very pagan worship itself. But things that are matters of license, they often can slip into matters of sin. We've got to guard ourselves and be very careful how we conduct ourselves in the world. And so Christ, he comes and he isolates the problem and he pronounces the punishment. It comes from Christ himself. It's delayed. Verse 21, I give her space to repent. We see the compassion, the gentleness, the patience of Christ. But it is definite, I will cast her into a bed. I believe what we're seeing here is we're seeing the echoes of God's judgment to Jezebel. She was punished. Her children were punished. And I, and I think you're seeing this echoes of this, this situation. This is metaphorical language. Whatever the full meaning of it is, we are seeing Christ acting to preserve the purity and the orthodoxy of the church. False teachers are often popular. Sometimes we don't know what's going on in the background. They're exposed and they're removed by Christ. And people, they look at the situation, they have a popular false teacher, and rather than seeing the action of Christ, they run after the false teacher and leave Christ. Because Christ here is working. And he does work in churches often in ways that we do not see. The effect is the false teachers removed. And we as marvel, we worship Christ for his care and his kindness to the church. False teaching that leads to false living is a matter Christ sees and deals with. True believers are cared for and protected by our Savior. Christ's intervention. And then finally, briefly, Christ's exhortation. It's expressed and encouraged. It's expressed in the language, hold fast. 
I think when it says there's no other burden, that goes back, you can read this in your own time, back to Acts 15, when the disciples there, when they had the deliberation in the Jerusalem Council, said, well, we'll put no other burden, but just nothing, nothing with blood, no sacrifice, that sense of things not sacrificed to idols and no circumcision. Hold fast. If I can take some liberty, it is a sense of keeping together justification and sanctification. That when you're justified, forgiven, that does not give you a license to sin, but you hold fast, you hold them together. You hold together love and holiness. You hold together love and grace. Hold fast till Christ comes. Hold fast to the end. The exhortation of Christ expressed and encouraged. There are promises given. Those that overcome, will they give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And I will give him the morning star. We get to share in Christ's rule. Why would you follow false gods when you're going to share in Christ's rule? If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. 2 Timothy 2 verse 12. Revelation 20. Those that have part in the first resurrection, the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. The promise that those who overcome, they reign with Christ. I have no idea what that means in its fullness. But I believe it to be true. And I look forward to knowing what it means in the future. This idea that I share in Christ's reign over the nations, such as my union with the Savior. I also have the reality that I will live in Christ's life. If we overcome, I will give him the morning star. Christ is said in Revelation 22, verse 16, I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The morning star, the star, the sun that comes in the daybreak, brings life and vitality. It's a sense of living in Christ's light. What a prospect. Not the depths of Satan, not the unknown things, but living in the fullness of the light that Christ reveals to us in the glory of God. That's our prospect. Why would you bother? Why would you dare to dabble in false gods? We have the prospect of reigning and living with Christ forever and forever. This, I believe, is a very significant letter. I think in many ways it does epitomize many of the churches in our land at this time. There's a sense that church to be vital has to be a church that is active and visibly loving. That's important. But we live in days when there's a tremendous tolerance of all manner of worldliness and ungodliness in the church. So may God give us the grace to love each other and to live in holiness as he has commanded us in his word. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. 
A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.